Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When I was in New York, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a seventh generation wish. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were all right back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, is there evidence? guys well here we are back on conspiracy normal i guess this is the post we are now in the post-election world woohoo yeah (laughs) (laughs) said said with such gusto and a plop there (laughs) well yeah i mean you know it's we're still here everything still is the same so at this point we'll see it's just a it's a waiting game now we haven't been sucked into uh total oblivion have we i mean you know not yet. As much as Alyssa wants to blame the wildfires on Trump, I don't think that's accurate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, well, we we're sitting here in Nashville and uh, go outside today and just thinking, like, something's wrong. Why is it so, why is it so misty? Why is it so, like, you know, f- uh, hazy outside? And come to find out that it's from the wildfires that have been burning just to the east of us in the Smoky Mountains. So we're getting it here in Nashville. So, yeah, 
But not only so we got this going on, we got like some kind of weird ecological disaster. And that's because of this drought. Like we haven't had any rain in like the last like <laughs> almost two months. Which is weird. I didn't even notice until you pointed that out mm-hmm. earlier. Like mm-hmm. That's why yeah, my I mean, berry like bushes aren't growing. Dead and of course everybody's grass is gonna be dead around this time anyway, right? So but uh, tonight, guys, and we're going to get into the election later on in the show, I want to talk a little bit about it and some of our feelings on it. And we'll also have Jeff joining us tonight as well. But on the line, and tonight we have two guests. Uh, you get two guests for the price of one tonight. And the first guest tonight on the line, we have Chris Wolford. And Chris is a fan of the show, and he wanted to come on, and we wanted to talk about... Tom DeLong and what is going on with him and his secret machines company and his disclosure stuff. But uh, Chris, uh, before we start with that, let's get into a little bit about you because you're into UFOs. You're kind of an experiencer yourself. Uh, let's talk about you for a little bit, your background. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I've been into UFOs for about 20 years. Uh the event you speak of, the experiencer event, happened to me in, uh, I can't pin it down either to either 1984 or 1985. I'm leaning towards 1984 only because Albert Rosales has a book about humanoids. And on the front cover, um, it's 80 to 84. Uh, there's a gray, but it's more cute and cuddly and more friendly. And that's what basically I saw. Um and I don't have any fantastic story. I don't remember being on the ship. Uh, the story goes, um, I was at my grandmother's house in the thumb of Michigan. And uh, I woke up and saw through her big bay window, uh, a basically the Apollo rocket. But instead of going, taking off, it was coming down in reverse. And next thing you know, uh, these little guys are in the bedroom. And next thing I remember is now we are outside, and it's like I'm floating, but not like Peter Pan. It's more like uh, I can't feel walking. You know, I can't feel like I'm walking. And then uh, we around, we basically go around her property until she lived on a farm, and then on the right-hand side of the house, there was a cornfield and a tall gray, much taller than the ones that were dealing with me earlier, comes out of the cornfield, and I had talked to Mike Cullen about this before. Uh, there was owls hooting. I couldn't see them, but I could hear them. And that's the last thing I remember uh, of that. I remember being put back into the bedroom, and then the pile of rocket taking off like it took off like if it was being launched. So that's my uh, experience or story. I don't, they didn't tell me anything. I don't remember anything. Uh, the, the funny thing to me, is it took me 30 years to kind of come back to that because I always pushed it back in my mind that, no, there was just a really lucid dream or I'm just, it was just like I chalked it up to I was a young kid and, you know, whatever. I had a wild imagination. But How old were you at more, the time? Uh, around four years old, either four or five. Like I said, I can't pin it down if it happened in 1984 or 1985, but around that time frame. Sure. Um the only reason why I say that is, like I said, there was a book by Albert Rosales, The Humanoids, um, on the front cover of the 80 to 84 book. On the left-hand side, there's this like cute, cuddly gray. That's basically what I saw. 
Um, like I said, he, I don't remember going on board, no probes, no nothing like that. Um, and then a caveat to that story, and I had told Mike Clellan this too when I talked to him over the summer, I went to go to a Michigan MUFON conference back in this past March. I went to leave out of the house, and I got stopped right dead in my tracks. And a voice that's, and I know it sounds like a crazy person. Uh, I may sound like a crazy person, but I'm not. I, I promise you. Um, a voice entered my head that was not my own and said, if you go to this conference, we will no longer have con- contact with you anymore. Huh. And I was like, okay. And I just continued on. I just kind of like wrote it off as saying, ooh, this is wild. And then, yeah, I, I haven't experienced anything weird since. I haven't seen anything not that I'm going out hunting for UFOs or anything. But, yeah, that's my contact experience. Well, a well, short version. You said something that was intriguing there, um, and that was about that you saw the Apollo rocket. I mean, are you talking about yes. like the, are you talking about like the Saturn five? No. I mean, did you see, no, like the Apollo 13, if you were to launch that, like the, the capsule that the astronauts were in, okay. Uh, the at the very top of the rocket that it, it like it, when it landed, it was like going in reverse. Like when uh, the space, like, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So when it landed, it was going in reverse. And then when it took off, it looked normal, but I, I so it was kind of like a dome shape then. Yeah, but it was not like a typical UFO. I mean, the only thing I can think of is uh, they were trying to soften the memory. I don't know, but, you know, and the other thing I find very odd is during that time, I was not into UFOs during that time. I didn't even know what one was. It wasn't until my dad saw something like four years later did that whole meme come into my thought process of what a UFO is up until that point. I had no idea. I didn't even think about that. I did have a toy, uh, spaceship like that, you know, Apollo like rocket, but I, I chalked it up. Like I said, to just imagination. It took sure 30 years to think, Ooh, this is interesting. Cause I kept coming back to it. And the thing that I told my clone, and I'll tell you that I know it was not a lucid dream. And I, I, I know it was real is when you grow up on a farm and you smell the earthy earth of a farm, that's what I smelled when I was outside being floated around. I remember, and I can smell it right now. Yeah. So that's the only thing that I can, for me, for proof. The other weird thing, like I said, the owls, that was kind of odd that they were right. hooting. So, yeah, I don't know. And I'm not like, I'm not, I don't want to have hypnotherapy or anything. I don't need to be regressed. I'm, I'm good with that. Not that I'm uh, scared to find out what happened. I just I don't have any inclination to figure out what they did or didn't do or anything like that. So, so yeah, so you haven't had hypnosis and you haven't had any other kind of experience since then? Um, paranormal stuff, yes. UFO activity, yes. I, you know, but yeah. nothing like that. Not like a close contact where I'm seeing entities, no. Hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. The UFO, the other time I, or the last time I saw a UFO, uh, real close, was 1993, uh, middle school. And you got the sense that something was behind me. And it was like the Bob Lazar sport model. It was on uh, above a tree, maybe 200 feet up, not even. 
And as soon as I turned around and noticed it, it blinked out and gone. Huh. So that was the closest. The other one, the other time I had saw a UFO was in Florida. But again, that was like with 12 people. And that was right around the same time as Gulf Breeze. It was winding down in Gulf Breeze, but it was still very much, you know, possibility that we were seeing something interesting. I mean, the, the lights were doing things that normal aircraft definitely could not do. Uh, one gentleman that was in, I think there was 12 of us that were seeing this. He'd said that he thought it was a boat mast. And it was, in my opinion, it was too high to be a boat mast if it was lights. But whatever, I don't know. I mean, that was that was quite a long time ago. So, yeah, that's, I haven't had any contact experiences. So, since. Well, very interesting. I mean, that's quite an experience, though, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I can understand where you're coming from with that because I had... A similar experience when I was a child. However, I believe it was more like a ghostly type phenomenon and mm-hmm. to where that you believe that what are you, you maybe you uh, rationalize it to yourself later that it's an actual um, dream or something like that. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, yeah. For so many years, I just put it off to the side. Didn't even think about it. It wasn't until uh, the last four or five years that I start to think about it. And it was something odd too. It was, uh, it was a. Uh, I want. <laughs> I don't really want to admit this, but it was basically ancient aliens that brought me back to thinking about that. And sure. I'm not like a super big fan of the show, but yeah, it's it was, like it, it jogged your memory on it. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Huh. Does yeah. anyone else in your family have, have have had any experiences or have anything? Uh, yeah, my dad has a really interesting story. He's no longer with us, but his story was he was with his brother-in-law, and they were, we, as a family, owned property in Port Huron. And they were up there one weekend. I was not there. This was maybe 88, 89 time frame i don't know exactly but my dad was up there with his brother-in-law they were at the uh, lake front they were standing outside and they saw this light come from what would be the canadian side over to the american side at a high rate of speed but pretty low and then once it got to the american side they saw that it was coming along the beach front and then it would blink out and then it would blink back on and it would blink out and blink back on. And then it got to the point where it got right in front of them. And my dad maintains, and I have asked my uncle since then, because uh, my dad, like I said, he's no longer with us. I asked him, how close was this thing? They both said the same thing. You could have thrown a rock at it. Hmm. It didn't make a sound. It just hovered there. It was, they said it was so bright that it lit up the entire area like it was daylight. And then it blinked out, moved down a little bit further down the shore, blinked back on, and then blinked out and gone. And then it appeared, which is the next town that's maybe another five or six miles away, Lexington, Michigan. It blinked back on and did the same thing. And uh, in recent years, I had asked my uncle, do you think it was military? Uh, He doesn't know. I had asked my dad, too, a while ago, and he didn't know. You know, he'd never seen really anything besides, <laughs> I guess maybe my family did. 
uh, did have some weird stuff because he, my dad did see the Kecksburg thing fly over when it flew over Michigan. You did see that. Oh, okay. But I, I don't know. Like, I don't think that he had contact experiences. My mom, right. for sure, she can stand UFOs. She just, she just a very religious woman and nothing to do with yeah. yeah, exactly. So I wonder what's up with Michigan sometimes because you hear a lot of cases that come out of Michigan, like the very famous uh, "quote unquote" swamp gas oh, case God, yeah. from the I think from the sixties, the JL and Heineck. Mm-hmm. you hear a lot about you hear a lot about uh, Michigan having more UFOs. It seems in a way I don't know what's yeah, up. Yeah, I was just talking to the state director for MUFON and. He's more of a bolt, nuts and bolts guy, and mm-hmm. there was a psychic there at this conference that was going on a couple of weeks ago, and she said, do you want to see a UFO on demand? He's like, what? What are you talking about? And I guess he couldn't go that night, but the next day they went, and sure enough, she summoned three UFOs. So again, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think what we're dealing with is alien. That's I've come to think that that's not what we're dealing with. I yeah. do not think it's far weirder than just little gray guys coming yeah. here from Zeta Reticuli. I just, it's too weird. The stuff that, that happens to people, you know, you have a UFO sighting then you have poltergeist events in your house right. or right. men in black show up or black eye children or whatever. You know, it's just so strange. So. Yeah, well, definitely when you have a psychic that can can say that they can bring <laughs> down UFOs, you know, uh, there was also, you know, Stephen Greer's group, um, they go out in the desert and they meditate and the UFOs come. And, but well, they're still firmly convinced that this is a nuts and bolts. You, do they, somehow these aliens are going to listen to us. I mean, it's very, it's a very well, strange reasoning. Th- th- Exactly. So, you know, and then we can segue into the whole Tom Belong thing because, you know, he, I'll say this, of all the UFO researchers that I'm in contact with on a daily basis, for whatever reason, there's this disconnect. Either A, they haven't done their homework on the, the whole Tom Delon situation, meaning they haven't listened to all the radio shows or podcasts he's been on, which I think if you really want to listen to him, you should do. Two, I think a lot of them have become so concrete and or um, jaded that they don't just brush him off as saying, oh, he's going to get disclosure. And I totally get where they're coming from because we've heard this dog and pony show before. Sure. We totally heard it. But this is where it's interesting. If you have listened to all the shows all the podcasts and almost every interview he's done, he's never really referenced alien. He says life form, but he never says alien. The only time he says alien in any of his interviews is if the interview person basically says alien and then he'll say no life form. So I found that very intriguing because Mm -hmm. like I told you earlier, I'm going to be referencing two books, one by Timothy Good, Alien Contact, and Nick Redfern's Collins Lee. And I propose that Tom either is a student of UFO history and has read these books and has interwoven his story with these stories to make this magical, uh, I guess, uh, transmedia company with the Secret Machines project or 
there is some truth to what he's saying because we know a little bit of uh, a lot of disinformation holds a little bit of truth in that disinformation. I've never been one, and I've been labeled this online that I'm a fervent supporter of Tom DeLong. I support him as in I want to listen to him, and I, I I don't think that we should not listen to him, and I also think that we should hold our breath to see what comes out of all this stuff because, like I said. For people just to throw stones and say there's nothing coming and, and we should just not listen to him because he's a rock star. Honestly, uh, I feel that they're kind of their egos hurt because they weren't chosen. But that's uh, just my take. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about Tom DeLong. I mean, you know, let's uh, obviously everybody that doesn't know who he is. He was a guitarist and lead singer for Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, so the guy is a rock star. Uh, mm-hmm. Was well, the other band that he had Angels and Airwaves? That yep. was another one. Uh, so, but how did he get interested in this? You know, and what's what's leading him to advocate disclosure of UFOs? Well, you had Micah Hanks on last week, and he yes. pretty much nailed that whole part down where he as a kid was very into ufos he he went to his middle school and found that in his middle school library there is two books one on ufos one on i think a loch ness he took them both out he read them and he's just like you know what i need to learn more so he quickly just started reading all the stuff that's out there valet mars uh, Farrell, everything that was out there. And then when he got uh, his first computer from the first check from Blink-182, um, he went out and bought a computer from Best Buy and uh, basically did the online thing back in the day in the early 2000s. And then that basically kickstarted his entire thought process on UFOs and what they are or what they might be. And he was a, he was a definitely a good student of UFO history. I mean, he definitely knew his stuff. I mean, I talked to Nick Redfern this summer uh, at a uh, conference. I asked Nick straight up, do you feel that Nick, um, excuse me, Tom Dolan is being truthful and really trying to get this stuff out? And Nick Redfern said yes. And Nick said exactly what I said. We should basically hold our breath and see what he has coming because you can't yeah. just – push him aside and say, uh, there's nothing coming because like we know from the WikiLeaks, he obviously did or was talking to the people that he says he was. Um, it's just funny that, um, the course he's taken. So, excuse me. Uh, what I believe is he then, is still in blink One Eight Two. He's still very much into UFOs and he gets into, uh, Stephen Greer and Dr. Carol Roslin, and they go, I guess, across the country, and they're pitching all this stuff. Um, he wants to work with uh, Stephen Greer, and then, I guess, now this is where the interesting part lies. I know for a fact that Mark Hoppus's dad worked at China Lake Naval uh, Base, and I know Tom DeLong has family who is either working currently for or has worked for Lockheed Skunk Works. So that, where are they from? Uh, California. I don't know exactly where in California, Okay, but I know that they, they were all born in California. Okay. 
So Mark Devlin shouldn't be looking into this for sure. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, that was his in basically when he was getting really big with Greer, the guy from skunk works went to Delon and said, you need to cool it, man. Cause this stuff can definitely get you in trouble and it can also get you whacked. And now I'm basically telling you about a video that he did with Jason McClellan and uh, Maureen Ellsbury. He, he relays that same story, but what I'm getting at is he's laying down the foundation for this, this whole project. And it's either a, they came to him and saw that this was going to be a good opportunity to get out whatever they want to get out. Or he generally went to them and proposed this idea uh, that we hear from the Coast to Coast interview uh, back this past March, where he talks to George Knapp and says, you know, I pitched this idea to uh, some people at Skunk Works and, um, you know, I went down this hallway and there was machine guns, uh, guards and how they were playing white noise. And this is where the alien contact book comes into to play, because I don't know if you remember Bob Exler. Do you, are you familiar with Bob Exler and his cosmic journey? Uh, fiasco? The, the name sounds familiar, but, um, but to, was, fill us in on that. I'm more familiar <laughs> with the Benowitz case. Yeah, well, Bob Exler's uh, Cosmic Journey case is very interesting. So Bob Exler was a NASA, um, some kind of NASA uh, flight personnel person, and he was very much into UFOs. He was a pretty good high up in MUFON during the 80s. This was 87 to 88 range, and even a little bit into the early 89. And he was, like I said, he was pretty big into UFOs. He was a well-respected researcher during this time. Um, he decided to go to this conference where Bobby Ray Inman, and Bobby Ray Inman was the director of uh, the CIA, the NSA, the DIA. <laughs> Should I keep going? <laughs> all the so this, all the alphabet agencies. Yeah. He basically anybody who was. Anybody in the intelligence, Bobby Raymond was this guy. So Exler goes to this conference and he hands him his business card and said, I want to ask you, Bobby Raymond, is there any way that private researchers who are into UFOs could ever get their hands on or learn more about UFOs and what the government knows about them? And Bobby Raymond then blow him off. He looked at his card and he saw that he uh, uh, Bob Exler was into networks, network security and a few other interesting robotic stuff. And he said, yeah, I'll get back to you. And then it was a couple months before Bob Exler was like, I'm waiting around. I'm waiting around. I'm not hearing from Bobby Inman. He calls Bobby Inman. He gets Bobby Inman's uh, assistant. And the assistant said, yes, we'll set up a time. You can call him. He does. Bobby ran and calls him and says, yes, I'd like to set up a meeting and I want you to meet me in Washington, D.C. And we'll talk more about these topics. We won't discuss it over the phone, kind of cloak, or dig cloak and digger kind of stuff. So Bob Exler goes to Washington, D.C. He meets with Bobby Raymond and basically they this is where it gets kind of sketchy. There's a few other people, one from the CIA and one other individual from the Navy, 
who also met with Bob Exler with regards to the whole UFO topic. And Bob Exler came to them with an idea, and it's kind of familiar to the whole Tom DeLon situation. Bob Exler went to Bobby Raymond Inman and these other two gentlemen and pitched an idea. We need to talk to the American public about this UFO problem, and we'll do it in an adult way, and we'll have a, uh, a, um, a way so we can have uh, a discourse for the public to the government and the government to the public. And because Bob Exler had run some, I guess, some public uh, broadcasting um, news, um, uh, I guess, um, um, jobs back in the day, he was like, I'll be really good with, you know, getting this message out. And Bobby, uh, Bobby Inman, excuse me, um, tells him, that's great. That would be wonderful. We have a project. It's called uh, Cosmic Journey. We'd like you to be a part of it. It's going to be part of NASA, the company Rockwell, which is Rockwell, and uh, not automation, but Rockwell, the aircraft company. I don't think they're still around, but they were back in the 80s. And this is going to be a joint effort. And we're going to basically go around like a Disney kind of operation. We're going to tell the public the truth about UFOs and aliens. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be a, a go-to guy, um, Bob Exler, and you're going to we're going to bring you up to speed what we know. And long story short, Bobby Raymond didn't know at the time. He had called a few more times to Bob Exler, and Bob Exler had recorded the conversations, and Inman didn't know that. And once it came out, they destroyed Bob Exler. And they also totally denied that uh, Caswick Journey was a real thing. Though, you can go on YouTube and go and find Caswick Journey on YouTube. There's a short, maybe 15 to 30 second part on a video, uh, I should say, on Caswick Journey and what it was entailing. And it was going to go cross country and they were going to tell the public all about this. It sounds oddly familiar. Right. To Tom DeLon, and you know, I'm going right. to set you up with advisors. You know, I'm going to, uh, we're going to have high level meetings, which he did. He had meetings with the other CIA guy who was going to retire. Sounds just like uh, uh, McCaslin. Oh, I'm going to retire so I can tell you some of this stuff. Uh, another thing I found interesting that uh, Bobby Raymond kept saying uh, to Bob Exler is he wasn't sure what the program was doing now, referring, I guess, into 88, 89 time frame, uh, because Bobby Raymond didn't know who Bob Bazaar was. Um, he didn't know about the entire situation, or at least he appeared he didn't know. And then, like I said, once he found out that his conversations were recorded, that's when they destroyed him, uh, Bob Exler, with the whole, do you remember the Guardian video and from Canada? It was on sightings. It was a show in the early 90s. Where um, there was a VHS tape that was sent to Bob Axler with a fingerprint on the f- front, and it was a video of a purported video, I should say, of a UFO that had landed, and then there was a, like an alien being uh, in one frame, and it later came out. Yeah, I know what you're talking it was about. A total hoax, uh-huh. and that destroyed Bob Axler's career. I mean, he won't talk about UFO. I think the last interview he did on UFOs was 2011. 
he's totally got out of the game. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to deal with anything. And, yeah, that totally destroyed him after that whole fiasco with Cosmic Journey. Well, see, this is this is similar, and I, I mentioned this before, you know, like I'm more familiar with the Benowitz case, you know, Greg Bishop's work. And uh, mm-hmm. I know that uh, Adam Gorightly is working on a book about this right now. Uh, it, it seems very similar. You know, they made sort of like Richard Doty made kind of similar promises to Benowitz and mm-hmm. that they were going to give him some ex- exclusive knowledge. And it all just kind of ended up being a, a deflection ag- against things that were, that were probably really going on. Uh, yeah. So, Let's talk about let's talk about the WikiLeaks stuff. You know, this is the because with all the the things around the election, somehow Tom DeLonge got brought into this. And WikiLeaks apparently he was emailing Podesta, and apparently DeLonge had been trying to keep his his source quiet of who this was, but WikiLeaks inadvertently, I guess, revealed who it is. Yeah, WikiLeaks actually revealed all, well, I shouldn't say all his advisors, but all the advisors that are in the military yeah. or uh, in the corporate world. It re- uh, revealed um, Neil McCaslin, who is the head of Foreign Technology Division at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which, again, if you had a need to know, that would be a guy that would possibly have a need to know especially at the Foreign Technology Division at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. We don't need to go through the history of that base, but if you're a student of UFOs, you'll know what I'm talking about. And then the other one was Tom, I uh, want to say it was Tom Carey. I know that's a UFO researcher, but I want to, it was either James Carey or Tom Carey. In any case, Carey, uh, he was a general. He was in uh, second in command of Air Force Space Command out of uh, Colorado. Hmm. Again, a guy who would be in the know, uh, need to know, I should say. And then the third one was um, the second in charge of Lockheed's, the vice president, I should say, of Lockheed Skunk Works, which that is an intriguing one because I don't think he wanted his name for sure out there. The generals, eh, they can always deny that they were really part of this, but the Skunk Works guy, that's kind of iffy right there. And then we have Podesta. And we have, see, this is where I don't know if I agree with Grant Cameron saying that Podesta is one of Tom DeLon's advisors. I don't know if I'm willing to say that. I will say that he may has he may have helped him get this going, possibly, or maybe give him an avenue with Hillary Clinton to maybe possibly disclose. But from what I'm hearing, it didn't matter whether Hillary won or Trump won or a reptoid had won. They're still going along with a program of, again, I don't know that we want to call it disclosure. I don't know what's coming. But uh, what Grant Cameron has been saying and some of my sources that we need to look to January. And I'm not saying that I'm agreeing that there is for sure something coming January, but they just keep saying that. The look to the, the month of January 2017 is when something's going to happen with regard to this topic and Tom DeLonge, the Secret Means Machines Project. Now that very well could be. Maybe that's when the documentary comes out. I don't know. That would be that would be kind of funny that we're all thinking it's disclosure and it's this friggin' documentary. But um, the other advisors that we have uncovered 
are interesting. Uh, Jacques Vallée is one of them. Um, let me look here. I have a list. Robert Bigelow, Hal Putoff, Kit Green, mm-hmm. and possibly John Podesta. Um, but again, I'm not so sure on that one. The real interesting one to me is Jacques Vallée. Right. Because he's not only an advisor, but he's writing the forward to this book that Delon is writing, uh, as well as our good buddy. Uh, <laughs> um, now I'm drawing a blank. What was his name? Peter Lavenda. Yeah, Peter Lavenda. Thank you. Yeah. Um, had a brain fart. Yeah, Peter Lavenda, which <clears throat> my own thought, and I don't know about Micah Hanks or yours. But yes, we know Peter did a lot of research about the Nazis. And that definitely comes into play with Tom DeLon's work because, because he does mention that in the Secret Machines novel as well as in the, all the interviews he's been in. But I look at it this way. He keeps mentioning the name Lifeform. And that, to me, is very similar to the Collins Elite book with the non-human entities, just for my take. Yeah. So. Did did he pull Pierre Lavenda in because he's done work with a cult too? Because that's what I take that from. Right. I take it as he's he brought him in because he dealt with the cult with the Sinister Forces trilogy. But I I, I can't I don't know for certain. Well, maybe it, both. It's it it seems to me that well, okay. I have heard some things about. DeLong and that he has talked about. I haven't actually listened to any of the interviews that he's made, Mm. but I have heard that he has said things like what we're actually dealing with is uh, gods with a small G, which is going to fit in, which is going to fit in with our next uh, guest that we're having on. But uh, I've heard this and it seems that he has a very radical, different viewpoint than just the basic nuts and bolts. And if he has, Jacques Vallée, I mean, Vallée in the 70s was saying that we're dealing with something that is beyond the nuts and bolts spacecraft. We're dealing with this idea of high strangeness. We're dealing with something that is much more of a spiritual phenomenon. So mm-hmm. it seems that that is where DeLong is coming, it, it, the angle that he's coming from, which is different than probably Bob Exler or Paul Benowitz, any of these guys. Sure. And so sure. that definitely intrigues me. It does, but it also worries me that he's – and again, I, I'm not saying he is. I I wonder if they had basically mind-controlled him into – because he keeps – in two of the interviews, or uh, yeah, one radio show and one podcast, people ask him straight up, do you feel that you're being given disinformation or mm-hmm. you're basically uh, – Right. Uh, being dealt with like Paul Benowitz. And he says, oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm I'm telling you the truth. They're telling me the truth. This is a very good time, they tell me, blah, 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 blah. I just, I don't know, man. I don't, I can't, I can't get a read on the guy. He is super smart about this topic. I, I'll give you that. Yeah. And I think because he did come up with this opinion of this is what we're dealing with, you know, Grant Cameron has made a couple of references where basically Stephen Greer, Bill Moore, and now Tom DeLon, they believe they let you believe what you're gonna believe. So if you think that uh Zay Reticuli aliens coming here right and abducting people, right. they let you believe that. 
they don't want change it, but they will definitely co-opt you to get their message out, whatever that is. Um, so yeah, I don't, I'm kind of at a loss as to what is going on. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait to March, March 7th to be exact for the, uh, book with Lavenda and Jacques Vallée. Sure. But again, I, I've been hearing this, this, this movement or whatever is going to happen is going to happen in January. And it's, it's in part due to Dawn's situation. So I don't know if they're, what they're going to do. And I know I don't want to be a, a salesperson here and trying to tell you that I'm trying to sell disclosure. I'm not, I, cause I don't think it's going to happen. I'm really surprised that he's even being allowed to say some of the stuff he's being uh, or he should, uh, he's saying, I yes. Say. And I think that's an important point. And before we talk more about it, I want to get Rob's kind of thoughts on this. What do you think, Rob? Uh, I, I've been hearing about this for a while, but I really am not well versed. And I was kind of looking forward to tonight because of that. Um, kind of, Adam kind of just left me hanging there. I was kind of, <laughs> that's what that I'm most curious about, but we'll, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, <clears throat> I want to kind of go back to what you said in in the beginning about the um, your first abduction experience, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. where it um, appeared like a uh, a NASA sort of spacecraft. Yeah, which you, you as a child were into. Um, yeah, I had a toy, but it's not not like I was sitting around. No, no, no. Dun- no, I know. But, but Adam and I have talked a lot about. Um, entities appearing in ways that they think are familiar or friendly or um, just drawing from our own psyche as far as how they're going to present themselves to us. And it, it sounds just like uh, a very similar uh, circumstances in your case there. Yeah. Mike Clellan said the same thing and he's heard different people say similar things, not quite a spaceship, but you know, they'll come to you as, I don't even remember what he said, but there's been numerous cases where people have had encounters with whatever the hell we're dealing with. And it's not in the form of what, you know, uh, um, uh, a typical typical gray looks like or a reptilian or what, or Nordic, you know, I didn't see anything like that. Right. But even with the grays, I think that they gained a lot more popularity once it became a mainstream kind of a thing. And sure, you take modern sure. modern cases too, like the uh, the black eyed kids that you mentioned briefly earlier, or even mm-hmm. things that we know to be fictional, like uh, Slender Man. We've talked about, yeah. you know, that starts to to gain traction and popularity, and then suddenly they're you know appearing to people and talking to children. Mm-hmm. And well, I will say this: I do believe I am a firm believer that if you have intent. And you want to contact whatever this is, you can, but you better be ready that it may not be an experience that's very positive. It's not going to be a love and light experience. It very well could be, but odds are it probably won't be. And just be ready for anything if you're going to be getting into this. Um, I'm not saying UFOs are bad news like Tom DeLonge, but you know it is. It's not something that I would wish on my worst enemy. I don't think that people should go around hoping to get abducted. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of drives me crazy when somebody's like, man, I wish I could have an experience. I wish I, I could be abducted. Like, I don't think you want that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think people realize 
that that, that is not a fun thing. One quick point I do want to make that's very similar to Tom DeLon's Secret Machines project, and then uh, we can move on to something else, is in the Collins Elite book, Nick Redfern mentions Ray Boucher. He was being Mm -hmm. told that, um, that the Trojan horses were purposely crashed into Roswell. That's that jives exactly with what Tom DeLon says in all his interviews is whatever we're dealing with crashes this technology into different nation states and hopes that that nation state will gain the technology, reverse engineer and use it to, again, fight wars, wage um, battles against people. And I, I guess the summation that we can take away from Tom DeLon is he had said, or he's saying that whatever we're dealing with is not good. They're like you said, the little G's, um, little gods, and they are definitely trying to fight for control of us through us being bad to each other. And again, that's a, that's a theme that we've heard a lot in UFO history. It's not something new, so that's interesting to me. I don't know if it's interesting to you guys or anybody else, but it's interesting to me, nevertheless. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it, it definitely is fascinating. I mean, that, like I've told you, that that's one of the best books that I've ever read was uh, Nick Redford's final events about this subject because it's so close to so much of what what I believe is the nature of the phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, and you were dealing with something that is when you're dealing with something that is spiritual and not uh, not physical so to mm-hmm. speak, that maybe could have physical attributes when mm-hmm. it comes into this world, but is primarily a spiritual phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, does DeLong, does he mention anything? Cause like we, we've been referencing final events and mm-hmm. does he mention anything about Jack Parsons? Cause a lot of what uh, Redfern <laughs> talks about in that book has to deal with Parsons and uh, the, and how the Collins elite basically got started because mm-hmm. of their interest in Parsons and the weird stuff that he was doing in the desert with Marjorie Cameron and L. Ron Hubbard, by the way. In all the interviews I've listened to or watched, he makes no reference to that. Yeah. I don't know because maybe, like I said, maybe he knows that he's possibly plagiarizing a story or, like I said, this really is what we're dealing with. I mean, the, the, the scary thing is if he is telling the truth. And we're not being disinfoed. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty scary proposition. I mean, it, it, things that are purposely dropping from wherever the hell they're dropping from into countries like China, Russia, U.S., in hopes that we build war machines from that, that's a pretty scary proposition. And I, uh, One thing I will add is he makes mention in his latest interview that they gain strength from us fighting with each other. The one thing that I don't, and I agree with Grant Cameron, because he, he's the one that pointed this out, but then I, I started to think about this too, is he said the reason why all this stuff has been kept secret from the public for 70 years is to keep it from whatever we're dealing with. But if we're dealing with something that is that smart, when you think they had the ability to know that already? So that doesn't really hold water in my world. Hmm. So, Yeah. Well, well, here's another aspect to it. I mean, are we dealing with, is 
he another Benowitz? Is he another Exler? Is he another Bill Moore? Uh, if you've seen the movie Mirage Men, you'll know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a great documentary, Rob. You should check that out. Um, For sure. But it, the... the so are we dealing with just another disinformation campaign to deflect from something? Well, let's say weaponization of space. Mm-hmm. Could that be what we're deflecting? Because in the Benowitz case, uh, Greg Bishop talks about this and go rightly talked about this on this show that a lot, and they talk about it in Mirage Men, a lot of what Doty was possible, what they think he was possibly deflecting was the existence of drones that are commonplace now, but in the 1980s were being tested out in California. So what Benowitz was actually seeing was drones, so they made sure that this guy was going to spread all this UFO disinformation. So is this probably what we're seeing with DeLong? Is he, quote-unquote, a useful idiot for these guys? I don't know. That's the $64 million question. Because at the end of the day... My question to all the UFO researchers is if he is a willing dupe or just a doofus and he's going along with this, mm-hmm. what would be the purpose? I don't, I have feelings. Well, he that may, he may absolutely believe it, but the, sure. but the, but since he says that these guys are an authority and they're telling him all this and maybe he doesn't know that he's being part of an, of a disinformation campaign. Well, I, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, again, Grant Cameron, I, with my sources, we're being told the same kind of information. Looked at January, and it has yeah. everything to be with what Tom DeLon is saying. Again, that could very well be when the documentary comes out, or it could be movement on this topic. I do find it interesting that when Hillary was making all her promises. Right. As, uh, trying to say that she's going to gain access if it doesn't affect national security, blah, 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 blah. I do really feel strongly that they are going to try to use the UFO phenomenon as a, either a distraction or B, something to control us even more. And I know I'm probably look, looking or sounding like a crazy person, but. I feel that, that that's probably the most likely case. I, I Or they're trying to hide the fact they're, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I don't know. There's going to be a million reasons why. I mean, the economy's doing bad. Uh, we just we, we just elected Trump. I mean, possibly that could be it. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. That's the $64 million question. Nobody really has the answer. And like Micah Hanks said last week, uh, he would love to compare notes uh, with uh, Tom Dolan. A lot of people would. Yeah. Um, I guess Pierre Lavenda is going to be on a podcast that is uh, with uh, Maureen Ellsbury and uh, Jason McClellan here shortly. So we may learn some more. I don't know. But, again, that's if he didn't sign a non-disclosure agreement of talking about certain things. I don't know. But well, the connection to Lavenda is a very interesting one. I mean, that's that to me, like you said, that tells me that you know what we're do that that we're not going for a physical nuts and bolts. So I wonder if we're if this could just be some kind of propaganda campaign for everybody to begin to realize the true nature of this phenomenon, possibly. possibly. And if so, that could be that could be very important. Another researcher he keeps mentioning that he likes, and I guess because uh, I contacted 
Jason McClung uh, on Friday um, is Joseph Farrell. Right. Uh, uh, Tom DeLon mentions him quite a few times as to he gets the closest to what the truth is. Now, like, you know, Lavenda and Farrell aren't really UFO researchers. Their research butts up against UFOs, but they themselves yes. are not UFO researchers. So that's interesting to me. Um, yeah, I, you know, maybe the other thought process, and a lot of people have said this in the UFO community, um, they're worried that basically what Tom is a willing dupe to is not so much UFO and alien or anything like that, but as a apologist for how we are an empire state and that really our military, not that I don't support their troops, I do, but uh, that we are an empire nation and that we wage war all the time and that this secret machines project is more to uh, boost either morale or boost the American awareness American people's awareness that we need to be secret about certain things that you think are UFOs, but they're really not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's one thought process behind that. Yeah. But again, I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't like to think that, or I should say, I don't want to not believe him because there's too many people who are too jaded and too concrete and I'd rather look at it as an open mind uh, person, open minded person with this than just say, ah, oh, forget it. He's not going to bring anything. He's not going to tell us anything. He could not. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I, I, I don't yeah. know the guy. Well, you know, he's he's very popular with with a lot of uh, kids that are probably like maybe you know twenty years younger than than I well, am, that, and it, I, so it, I wonder how much that is a is more like he's a voice of a generation, and he can influence this maybe the young or the youth to think in a different way, possibly. They have in his original interview on Coast to Coast with George Knapp. He makes reference to that. The part of the reason why they basically went with him on this idea is that he could reach the youth, you know, the millennials. You know, I don't think that really is who his target audience is, but whatever, I, I digress. Um, yeah, that was a big thing to get younger people not so cynical about our military and get them aware that we're not alone in the universe. It's basically the two things that were said in that interview. And again, I go back to whoever's telling him says this is a very good time to do this. So again, is it a distraction from how this country's going down the toilet? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, that'd be a really good one. I mean, and, and I'm not talking like Project Bluebeam because that's total BS, but maybe <laughs> you could talk about how UFOs are real and that you couldn't distract people with that. I mean, think about uh, it. That we were told, but then again, part part of my cynical side is the people like at my work, they could care less. They're just worried about their paycheck and are they going to provide food for their kids? They could care less about Tom DeLong, his UFOs, right. secret machines. So I don't know if that's very good thinking. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking before, uh, it's very interesting, Chris, but before we let you go, I want to ask you about, you were talking, you, were, you left me something on Facebook talking about, uh, Pizzagate 
And <laughs> yes. I had uh, I had heard Micah Hanks talk about this the other night on Middle Theory, and this is this is interesting. I, I what what do you understand about this? Okay, in the WikiLeaks for John Podesta, because you can break it down by just the Podesta leaks. Yeah. The three most common words that are in all his leaks. I think there's like thirty three. Either 3,300 or 33, no, it's total 33,000, but 3,300 uh, leaks just with John Podesta. Three keywords that are c- popped up the most are UFOs, pizza, and hot dogs. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and, and again, I haven't done enough research, but the, I have listened to a few podcasts. I have done, a, I should say, a little bit of research from what I gather. That pizza is a uh, metaphor for a female genitalia, and hot dog is obviously a, a reference to male genitalia. Um, and I'm not, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that they are pedophiles, but it is interesting that the, in one email you can find on WikiLeaks, they spent seventy or sixty-five thousand dollars on pizza and hot dogs. Now, who in their hell buys yeah. sixty-five thousand dollars worth of hot dogs? And That's there's a, little a restaurant. Weird. There's a restaurant in Washington D.C. that has the symbol or symbols that coincides with what the FBI internally, not externally, but internally uses for um, how do they? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How do they identify pedophiles? They give them symbols. And those symbols are on the front of this building, this pizza restaurant. Not anymore because they took down the the front, uh, which is very telling in my mind. But whatever. I mean, uh, they took down the sign with the heavy symbols that the FBI uses. So one theory that's out there, and whether you want to believe it, it's up to you. You just have to do your own research. Is That's why Comey reopened the Hillary case. But once he opened it and saw what was there with regards to that, he quickly shut it because I don't know if your listeners or even you are aware. Everybody blackmails everybody in Washington. That's a well-known fact. So I have dirt on you. You have dirt on me. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's mutually assured destruction. So if you leak anything about me, I can leak something about you. And I think that's why Hillary will not get to go to prison. Not that I'm advocating for that, but I definitely feel that uh, this Pizzagate thing or something there. Um, People should definitely look into it. I know 4chan is a group of ha- hackers that looked into this, and then there was a lot of uh, internet sleuths. And I know that's sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing, but I think in this case it's a good thing because uh, one of the hackers and one of the internet sleuths are the people that came up with the whole thing that the three most common words for the Podesta leaks were UFOs, pizza, and hot dogs. So it's interesting. Um we could even get into the whole um, the, the the black magic practitioner too, but we probably will run out of time. So <laughs> yeah, about the spirit cooking. Yeah, that's the, I don't think there's anything weird with that. Well, but. hold on though, Adam. She was at a fundraiser at that restaurant with the pizza and the hot really. Dogs. Yes. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, it it just keeps getting weirder and weirder, huh? I'm well, gonna have to look know, into this a little more. I think you definitely. I I encourage everybody 
to do that. I was going to bring in Podesta with the whole occult thing because now it kind of makes a little bit more sense to me. I don't know. You have Jacques Vallée. You have Pierre Lavenda. Those yeah. are pretty good people who would know a lot about that. I don't know. Maybe that's the reason why uh, Tom DeLong got him aboard. I don't know. It's just a thought. Well, Chris, we are out of time, uh, but uh, tell everybody where we can, uh, everybody can contact you and uh, see what you're working on. Um, just Facebook. Um, that's it. You know, Chris Wolford, you can okay. see my profile picture with Nick Redfern. And that's, I don't really don't write. I don't, I'm just kind of like a lurker. I do my research quietly, maybe bring up to a few people once in a while. That's about it. I'm not going to write any books or anything. <laughs> this is the first podcast I've ever been on. Well, congratulations. Well, We're you, glad Adam. this is the maiden journey for you. Uh, <laughs> thank absolutely. You. Thank hey, you. thank you for coming on. And Chris, hold on the line for us. We're going to close this out. Guys, we will be right back with Dr. Larita Louise. Guys, we are back uh, for part two of the two of our one of our two guest episodes on Conspiracy Normal, and we have with us uh, guest co-host tonight, Jeff. How's hey. it going? Hey, babe. I am here. I'm sassy. I've got my diet right. They yeah, brought I it see back. That. They brought it back from the '80s, and it's all I can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> my mom stayed over at my house last night and I said, you know, they've brought back diet, right? And she says, Oh, I used to love that. <laughs> so, so we're, we're a family. That's the only thing that me and my mother connect on is uh, diet soda. So well, at least you can connect on something. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm remodeling my house and she, she doesn't agree with anything that I do, but man, soda wise, but diet we're right. cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, on the line, guys, uh, we have someone that uh, we got to know at the Paradigm Symposium back in May in Minneapolis, and that is Dr. Rita Louise. How has everything been with you? I mean, what have you been uh, what have you been working on lately since last we talked? Um, well, I mean, I, I released a new movie, which I know we're going to be talking about mm -hmm. upcoming, which is called Holy Deception. And I'm also I have two books in the works. Um, one that I'm further along with that the working title is called Being Human. And then the other one is a look at, and I'm not going to announce the name, but it's a look at the UFO phenomena based on evidence from antiquity. Okay. And I'm just going to kind of leave it there because I don't want to give out too many details on that one. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, we were, we were talking about, uh, we're going to talk about your, about your latest film. And that is the holy deception. And I, w I want to get into this. Like, what uh, what brought you to the idea to to make this film? I almost said write this book, but you know we're talking about a film. <laughs> I'm so used to talking about books. But so, what gave you the idea to make this film uh, about like kind of the nature of God and kind of our, our conceptions of God? Well, I mean, one of the areas that I do a lot of writing on is, um, you know, and I hate to pigeonhole myself, but just, you know, but to just put it in a genre and in a box by itself is whole, the whole ancient alien concept. Um, and where I really look at it from the mythological record, it's not what I think, it's not what, 
you think it's this is what myth tells us. And when I look at the mythological record, I start comparing information from cultures around the world. And I look for stories or narratives where they jive, where I'm finding descriptions of the same characters over and over and over again, which tell me that we're talking about the same person, the same concept, the same job title, whatever. And, um, you know, but part of that is really helping people to understand how God fits into this whole narrative. You know, because when we talk about ancient aliens, there's always, well, what about God? Well, what about God? You know, and as you know, and I like to attribute this to Georgia Zuclos, but I don't know if this is actually his invention, you know, and separating out the God with the big G, uh, which is the creator, the omnipotent uh, energy person source that made all of reality and the individual that is talked about in the Bible or any of these other ancient texts. And I think there really is a big difference between that big G God and the God that we often talk about. And so that's really what I focus on in this film is to present how God is identified in cultures outside the Bible while comparing it to the Bible, but also outside the Bible. Okay, well, let's talk about the biblical conception of God. I mean, what uh, what is, I mean, for anyone that may not be familiar, which I'm sure... There are people that are familiar. What is but, the Bible? <laughs> but it's like the It's a fiction narrative that was written a long time ago. No. Uh oh, there goes the French radio network. Uh so but what's but what's the biblical conception of God, basically? Well, you know, there is the impression that most people have of God of this, you know, omnipotent being, as I was saying, you know, before with you know, long flowing white hair. We can all always imagine, you know, the image of God um, on the 16th chapel where he's extending his finger out to Adam, the first man, you know, and we just have this image that that is what God looks like. You know, God has a sex, you know, this is what God looks like. But when you start reading uh, the Bible, you know, we, we don't really ever get a description of who or what God looks like. But we do find out about God through some of his uh, behaviors, you know, like he helped the Israelites get out of Egypt or, you know, he created humanity, obviously. And so there are these very good aspects to God. But then there are also these not so good aspects. You know, I always think of like Sodom and Gomorrah or when he has uh, Abraham try to sacrifice Isaac, you know, because Mm -hmm. God told him to. You know, there are these definitely like kind of dark side to the God that we are presented with in the Bible. Um, And I'm going to leave it there because it really needs to kind of bring in the other parts of the movie to compare and contrast uh, this concept of God. Okay, so what is so what we're talking about in this case, we are talking about gods with a little G. And what what are we exactly are we are we talking about here with like the uh, kind of like the different archetypes of the uh, of the that are involved in the pantheon and like what is the whole concept of a pantheon? Well, you know, and I'll I'll actually start with the Bible. In the Bible, we have one God, 
You know, so there right. is no pantheon of gods. There, you know, there isn't this whole group of individuals who, you know, in more contemporary uh, society, you know, are attributed to natural phenomena, haha, uh, <laughs> like lightning and you know storms in the sea or fire, you know. Um, but there was this whole group that shared responsibility for the happenings on the earth. And it's from these sources outside. And it's interesting, actually, I'm going to interject on myself. Um, it is only in the Abrahamic tradition, so uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that we find a singular God. I mean, obviously in Egypt, when Akhenaten was in charge, he was supposedly monotheistic. Um, at least that's what they say. Um, but those are the only traditions around the world that support an individual God. When you look at any other culture on the planet, they all talk about this group of gods that ruled from the sky, they ruled from the water, they ruled from the underworld, uh, the individuals on earth, or they had their, their jobs uh, interacting with the people and the earth itself. Right, and what were some of those? What were some of those roles that the that the gods had? Okay, um, well, there was the sky god, who was the individual who was in charge. Um, there was the god of fertility, um, who was often associated with water. There was the god of the underworld, as well as, um, and not all cultures have this fourth god which was the gods that were responsible for the creation of things. They were the master architects, the master builders. Mm -hmm. um, in some cultures, other cultures, they're not really considered gods, but helper guys. Um, but what's interesting is when you start looking at the characteristics of the individual who's identified as the sky god or the fertility god or the god of the underworld, they always have the same, and I'm going to say iconography, tied to them. They always have the same characteristics. And so you can go to another, if you have kind of the cheat sheet of these are the characteristics of this individual, then you can go to another culture and start looking through their pantheon of gods and find a corresponding individual with some, if not all of those same characteristics, but they'll just have a different name, period. Right. And we know that, like, okay, the one of the obvious ones is the Greek and the Romans, and really the Romans kind of borrowed from the Greeks. So you have Mars is the same as Aries, Jupiter is the same as Zeus, and I guess really around that whole Mediterranean culture, all the Mediterranean cultures had the kind of like had the group of twelve, and they all had the same kind of purposes, they all had the same kind of functions, uh, the same kind of veneration. But what uh, uh, apart from those Mediterranean cultures, what do we see in, say, like maybe uh, in maybe Sub-Saharan Africa or in India or in um, or North, North and South America that would be similar to those gods? You know, and I'm just going to use the sky god because he is the most consistent character sure. that you find. Um, so in India, we find Indra. And, um, you know, one of the things that I like talking about is uh, Indra, the Indian god, he had a weapon that was, it was called in India, the Vahara. 
And so it was the staff that emitted lightning or what they called lightning. Mm -hmm. And it had three prongs and it was said to be able to level mountains. And so there's this image of this Vahara, which actually has come into contemporary culture. So we know what it looks like. Um, you know, they still produce them as a meditation tool. Um, but if you look at pictures that come out of the Greek culture, you see Zeus with a weapon that looks remarkably similar to this Vahara. And guess what? It emits lightning also. You also find uh, Marduk, or, you know, they attribute the image to Marduk. There's the Sumerian image of the battle between Marduk and Tiamat that anyone that watches ancient aliens or has seen images that have come out of the Sumeria, Babylonian culture are familiar. It's just Tiamat, the snake. And then there's this guy on her back with this three-pronged uh, weapon in his hand, you know, and again, emitted lightning bolts. We come into the Americas and we have gods that also carry, uh, in some cultures, this weapon was called a club, you know, an axe, no, a hammer or a club. And, and they were interchangeable. And so in the Americas, they had a club that emitted lightning bolts. And, um, and it's interesting because even in Australia, um, there were, and please forget how I pronounce this because I don't have good <laughs> phonic skills. And so if you're, if you're Australian and I say this word, you know, just no hate mail. Uh, but there were the Wakari brothers who had boomerangs or boomerangs, but they, it translates to club. And so they use that weapon. It's really interesting. They use that weapon to castrate this other God who is having relations with the women of the earth. But if you go into um, Greek mythology, we have Kronos who carried a sickle, which looks remarkably similar to the boomerang, and he used that to castrate his father, Uranus. Right. You know, and then we have, uh, you know, so one of the other attributes of a boomerang is that if you throw it, it will come back to you. You know, it'll come back to the owner. And we have characters like Thor, who has his mighty hammer. Remember, mm -hmm. another iteration of that same weapon concept, that if he threw his hammer it would automatically come back to him. Right. You know, so we see that same device being wielded by a, a sky god around the world. And then, as you said before, we have these, we have the kind of like these archetypes. We've got uh, the goddess of love, fertility. Uh, you have like kind of like the... Uh, the master builders, guys like Hephaestus or Vulcan in Roman mythology. Exactly. Uh, you have the. You also have uh, the the god that is the the god of uh, learning and wisdom, like uh, Thoth or Hermes, as it is in Greece. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting that you have like these. <laughs> it's like the 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 twelve, you know, uh, that have mm -hmm. all these different concepts, and they all. And they all match between all these different religion, all these different religious systems, and, and so yeah, it's 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 extremely always that's always been extremely fascinating to me. Well, 
you know, and people like to say, well, we have these archetypes, but the archetypes had to be based on something. You know, and my feeling is, especially after going through looking at all of this mythology, is that they were based on real live characters that existed at some time in our prehistory. You know, and I think it's interesting that you brought up Hephaestus because mm-hmm. he was one of that fourth group, the master builder group, that in many cultures were identified as being either the giants or the dwarfs, you know, or some kind of a monstrous looking crippled creature, yeah. um, you know, and they're always associated with the north and they're always associated with building. But that group, some of them give them a god category, and others make them, again, a lesser group. Right. What are your thoughts on, going back to the Bible a little bit, what are your thoughts on the Genesis 6 story? Is that the Nephilim one? Yeah, that's the Nephilim one. Okay, just checking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, the, 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 the sons of God saw the daughters yeah, of yeah, men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Well, I was just, I was like, Genesis 6. Hmm. Um, well, actually, I have a very strong opinion about it. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that people talk about, all right, so the, 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 it goes, you know, in those days, the Nephilim walked the earth and in the days after. And then the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they had relations with them. And their offspring were the men of renown. And, and in Hebrew, it's the Gaborim. And there are so many people that will say, well, no, their offspring were the Nephilim. Now, in the Septuagint, or the translation of the Septuagint, um, it does say Nephilim giants, which doesn't make any sense to me. And it, it, it don't work for me. You know, but you don't find that those words being used actually in the the Torah. And so I have to just say that the Septuagint has a funky translation, but everybody latches onto that. Right. If you look at the mythological record, one of the things that you find out is prior to the creation of humanity on the planet, there was a race of giants that were the offspring in Greek mythology. They were the conception of the blood of the castrated Uranus that fell upon the earth. And so they were a pre-existing race on the earth, and it was because of the a war that occurred between the giants and the sky gods that humanity was created in the first place. And so when you read that statement, in those days, the you know, the Nephilim, the giants, walked the earth, my response is, yes, in those days, the giants walked the earth. Um, and I thought it was just at first, just this bizarre, uh, narrative that you found in the Bible. And because I really never found any parallels anywhere until I haven't until, until I read the Ramayana and actually there is a very consistent supporting parallel narrative that we find there. And in the Ramayana, so the Ramayana is the story about Rama, and he was a avatar, a reinc- an incarnation of Vishnu. And so for a whole number of reasons, Rama gets, uh, 
he loses the kingship and he has to go roam in the in the wilderness for 11 years or 13 years and through a number of events that they brought upon themselves his wife gets kidnapped by the demon god of Lanka and as the story continues he needs to go and battle the demon god of Lanka to get his wife back and so Vishnu being all powerful knew that this was going to happen and so prior to Rama being born he has all of the gods and goddesses come down to the earth and have relations with the apes and the bears on hmm. the earth. Hmm. And through these relations, relations quote unquote, right? Relations. Yeah, with apes and bears. Well, I, I can keep going because oh, yeah. I think I can make a very interesting narrative here. And so he has, they have the relations and then time goes on. And Rama meets the king of the Venar, which is what they were called, the Venara. And he creates an army with these Venara. They build a bridge from mainland India to the island of Lanka so these Venara can cross. And they defeat the demon god of Lanka. Well, one of the things that I found very interesting, and I wrote a totally separate article on, was they found a bridge you know, that many people are saying is just a shoal, just this, you know, natural creation that actually creates mainland India to the island of Sri Lanka. Right. And they have gone in and done some underwater excavating and have determined, or at least this one guy has determined that it was man-made, that there was a layer of sand, that there was this layer of rocks that were hewn from, they think, from the sides from the India side and put down in there and it was a bridge and they dated it to 1.7 million years ago. Hmm. Now where it gets really interesting and we're going to get real ancient alien on you. My belief is that where we really started having the investment of the gods into the genetic engineering of humanity and where we find quote-unquote, the first man, is about 1.5 million years ago with the advent of Homo erectus. Okay. You know, and so did the gods intersperse their genetic material with the apes and bears to create this uh, enhanced race? Because the offspring, let me back up, the offspring of the gods and the apes and bears were these characters that had the characteristics, although watered down, of their divine uh, parent. You know, so if your father was the god of wind, you were fast fleet of foot, and you could leap long distances. And if your father was one of the architects um, from that Hephaestus-type crew, you had knowledge of engineering. And so they were definitely a more advanced race uh, conceptually of beings and skills of beings. And, you know, scientists don't understand how we went from being like uh, Homo habilitis to Homo erectus with losing our hair, you know, our brain size increased exponentially. We started having the rudiments of society. Uh, we had the use of fire, which is a big one. Um, you know, so there was so much that changed in just a very small amount of time that I 
like to put out that I think that Adam was actually part of that creation process or prior to that creation process. And then we have this Nephilim story, which I think might actually be like 1.5 million years old, which most people go, ah, can't be. You know, uh, it's interesting that they mentioned bears around, along with apes. I mean, obviously now, you know, now we know that apes are close to human beings. We, you know, genetically, but I mean, bears are not. So I wonder if there's a. I wonder if they're referencing something else. Are they just didn't understand the process? Well, some people have come forward and said, "Is it possibly Bigfoot?" So I've heard that, um, and then I have heard another another author that I was reading said that the translation that it wasn't really apes but it was a more simple form Mm -hmm. of humanoid you know so i kind of like the bigfoot idea myself personally well i mean it it, it could (laughs) it could be possibly i mean i know that lloyd pie you know i'm I'm sure you're familiar with his work Mm -hmm. he had uh this idea that yours, he was a big ancient aliens guy too. He had the star child skull and all that. And his idea was that Bigfoot actually is what humans were supposed to have been without some kind of outside interference. Hmm. Well, I had never heard that one. Yeah, that was kind of his. That was kind of his. That was kind of his theory on that. So yeah, it's interesting that we have we have like two different stories that kind of match up, and you. Also, right in saying that, you know, we do just kind of show up. I've heard that more about for Homo sapiens and Homo erectus, but we do just kind of show up about 150,000 years ago, just kind of seemingly out of nowhere. I've heard that as well. But see, I put the date further back yeah. for a very, very specific reason. Right. Um, and not just because of the Rama's Bridge thing. And I put it back there because one of the oldest. There, there are a handful of myths that you find extremely consistent around the planet. One is the flood narrative, which I'm sure yep. you've had lots of people talk about. You know, but another one that totally predates it is fire. You know, mm-hmm. that the gods gave humanity fire, and it was one of the very first tools that we had to work with. Well, by 150,000 years ago, we had fire. So why would we need myths to circulate the earth about the gods giving us fire if we already had it? And so I feel like their intervention started prior to us having fire, but there is archaeological evidence to show that we had the ability to control fire 150 million years ago, or 1.5, excuse me, 1.5 million years ago. Right. You know, so even that timeline piece to me matches up. Yeah, because you have the story of you know, the fam- the famous story from Greek mythology is Prometheus mm-hmm. coming down and bringing fire to the to to mankind, and uh, Prometheus was a titan, and I guess that uh, I think was it Zeus that told him not to do it, but he did it anyway. Correct. And the gods didn't want him. And there's I think there's very similar. Uh, mythology and the whole 
Enlil and Inky story from Sumeria as well. But, well, and you find it in Norse cosmology. Actually, yep. you find the story of fire everywhere. You know, either humanity steals it from the god is one narrative that you'll find, or that the gods gave it to humanity. Um, you know, but there's always like some kind of sneaking around involved and consequences involved. And so there still is this similar flavor of we weren't, weren't really supposed to have it, but we ended up with it. So what do you think is the date for the flood? When do you think that that occurs? You know, that's a hard one. That is really a hard one. Um, when you look at the mythological record, where they push it back to is somewhere between 25 and 35,000 B.C. You know, so if you look at the Sumerian kings list, it's about 35,000 B.C. If you look at Egypt and China, it's somewhere between 25 and 30,000 B.C., you know, where humanity started ruling after the deluge. Um, you know, it's a hard one. I, I don't put it at the 12,000 years ago. I, I do not put that kind of a storyline that late in history because it doesn't explain the occurrence of that story on every continent on the planet. Hmm. Cause that's, that's where I, that's where I kind of lean to with that. Cause it seems like the, a lot of the stories of that would be like the end of the last ice age. You know, I mean, I just interviewed Andrew Collins on a, yeah. my show, yeah. you know, and he talks about, I mean, there's the Carolina Bay's impact, which also can parallel to something that went on in like Vancouver. Like they think there was a comet that came through meteor that came through and, and I think there was a mass melting that happened at that point in time and then a refreeze. And then we had, you know, the ice age ending, but the water from the ice age only rose like one or two inches every hundred years. And I would think if it's rising one or two inches every hundred years, um, they wouldn't call that a flood. <laughs> you, you would need something much more catastrophic, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, you know, and there's this, um, Yale professor, Michael Wetzel, who has very similar thoughts to mine and his commentary is he thinks that the flood narrative has to be at least a hundred thousand years old Wow! and his, well, because if you, it is possible that the flood story was actually a localized story. Because the characters involved, the way the story is told, the pacing of the story is always the same. Always the same. And the, there's only two ways that that could possibly happen. The first is you have a story that's so old that it, it traveled with humanity as they moved out of Africa. You know, because Australia was populated you know, 40 to 60,000 BC. And that story is there. The Americas were populated 30,000 years ago and the story's there. So this yeah. story has to predate the movement of humanity around the planet. 
The other possibility is that we learned the story from the gods because they were shared our history and we've just retained it as part of our story. Let me get to some of these other guys in here. Rob, you watched the you watched the video. Question that you wanted to ask about uh, some of this material. Well, uh, first of all, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, the everything from the the production, the sound. I liked a lot of the quotes that were that you spliced in there. Yeah, you. There's everything from like Maynard, right? From yeah, there was yeah. I was to say everything from Arthur Arthur C. Clarke to Mitt Romney to to Maynard Keenan, which was awesome. <laughs> Now we're, we're digging a little deeper into it now. I, I've, I've always kind of, like I've never done the research that you've done, but I've always kind of equated a lot of these kind of things with um, more of a genetic memory type of thing or um, just inherent things that, that, that people fear that kind of get manifested in, in similar ways throughout different cultures. But I don't know. You, you bring up a lot of interesting facts, so... Well, one of the things, and it, it seems to be, you know, my soapbox uh, in this lifetime when we start talking about antiquity is just these parallels that we find. I mean, not just in the mythological record, but like the new book I'm working on, uh, Being Human, looks at these parallels that we find in our culture. Um, you know, elongated skulls, uh, the concept of... Um, I want to say, yeah, um, uh, all right, I, I just pulled the blank. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the concept of marriage, the concept of um, ritual and ritual sacrifice and, you know, ritual impurity. I mean, there are these concepts that are part of our culture that have been with us for millennia. I mean, now a lot of them are not necessarily seen as taboo because we've kind of let them all go. But, you know, now we live in a godless culture, um, you know, because we've left go of all of these things. But it made me question, well, why do we do these things in the first place? Why inflict pain, the pain of um, an elongating a skull, which you find on every continent? You know, the other word, the word I couldn't think of was circumcision. Why inflict that? I mean, it wasn't even done on babies. It was done as a rite of passage on, you know, prepubescent teens. Why do that? You know, we think that that's a concept that's only in, you know, Judaism, but it's not. It's it's a global phenomena. Yeah, there's other and cultures that do it, yeah. There's a lot of other cultures that do it. And... You know, it seems like bottom line, it's because it's pleasing to the gods. You know, there's some tie to the gods. You know, the gods told us to do it. And it makes me question how much of who we are as people, you know, as humans, is actually attributed to these dictates that were impressed upon us somewhere in our remote past that make us be human versus what would make a Klingon be a Klingon or a Romulan be a Romulan. Jeff, you got any thoughts? I have a lot for her, actually, but I don't know <laughs> where to begin. Um, I hope for, they're good thoughts. No, they are. Um, I want to ask you about, actually, other subjects, to be quite honest with you. Um, 
I, I hate to like for um I have three things actually that I want to I, I don't want to skew too far away from our subject today, but um, I was actually wondering if you could speak sort of to the your um, uh, the belief attraction laws that maybe you live by. Just some simple laws that you sort of keep in the back of your mind when you go throughout your day. Okay, well that really is a segue. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, well, I also okay, that's okay. No, look, um, I mean, I think for me, you know, and this is really talking, you know, me talking personally, hmm. you know, I mean, for me, it's really about being in my integrity, um, and so I do what feels right to me, you know. So when I put these movies together or videos or write an article, you know, I don't write them because. I think I'm going to make a lot of money, although I really like to, but that isn't my intention going in. It's, you know, I Mm -hmm. just feel like this is what I need to be doing and this is where it, this is where it's going to go. And sometimes I'll put stuff together and I have no idea where the journey is going to take me. I mean, my book ET Chronicles with myth and legend has to say about uh, human origin. I had no idea where that book was going to go. And it, it went a very different way than I thought. Mm. And, um, you know, so that's one. And, you know, I just tried to listen to myself and listen to the signs that I'm receiving, you know, and paying attention. So, you know, if I'm thinking about doing something and then I have, you know, like I'm restoring a, a really old house right now, but it's huge. And it's, it's one of the biggest, baddest houses in town. There and you so, go. Um, but I don't need all of the room, but it's a really cool house. And so I played around with the idea of turning it into a bed and breakfast. And I've had several people go, well, you know, this would make a great bed and breakfast. Well, you know, your house would make a great bed and breakfast. And so I just feel like, you know, these other people are confirming kind of what the universe is putting out to me mm-hmm. that I should be doing, you know? So instead mm-hmm. of going, well, that's just a weird idea. I just take it as confirmation of something that should be in the works. And I, I need to listen to that message. So those are some, a couple of basic laws that I live by. I see. Uh, and I also wanted you to uh, recently, I've kind of gotten uh, sort of into uh, it's interesting to me how Buddhism and uh, Christianity are really, really similar similar. And, um, I was just wondering if you could sort of speak more to that and maybe give me your take on sort of like these two religions and, and how similar they are to you historically. Okay. Um, you know, I can't really speak directly on Buddhism and Christianity, but I can kind of take it back. I think even further in time where, I mean, because I have studied uh, very in-depth the whole chakra system and energy and energy movement through the body. I mean, because I'm a naturopath and a medical intuitive and I do energy work. And so it's it's something that I'm very involved with in my day job. Mm-hmm. And I have also studied Kabbalah, in particular the tree of life that comes out of Judaism, uh, Jewish mysticism. Okay. And 
And what I have found are distinct parallels between the chakra system and the tree of life, where one is kind of the chakra system is kind of more like a yin yang. This is the energy that's swirling in the center where in the tree of life, it kind of takes a more linear approach where this is all the way on one side and this is all the way on the other side. You know, one unconscious, one very conscious, one will, one will power, you know, and so, you know, it's more linear. Um, There are a few differences where in the Jewish tree of life, it says that upon God's outflowed outflowing breath, we receive life. And so we are filled with God's energy. And then when God inhales, I have to think about that, inhales, that's when we lose our life. Where in more the chakra system, it is upon our first indrawn breath and our, you know, we exhale the last breath. And so there's perspective differences. There is generic how you're looking at this system differences, but they're really saying the same thing. It's just a different point of view. And my feeling is, is that they really came from the same root. And then, you know, like two scholars got into a big fight and one went this way and one went that way and they (laughs) became two different systems. Hmm. But they, you know, but the root system was the same. And then the dogma took over. You know, and and I think people, uh, I don't know if you know, but that Buddhism is actually an offshoot of Hinduism. Right. You know, know, so I could see where, you know, and Christianity is an offshoot of Judaism. And so I could see where those two being the next level up and more contemporary in their interaction, you would see commonality because they, you know, as you follow the tree down, you know, I feel like they came from a root, the same root material. Let me ask you this, Rita. I want to ask you about the nature of these beings that we are, that we're talking about. Are, are we, because there are some people out there that do think that, that, that we're not dealing with maybe possibility of a biological entities, but we may be dealing with something that is more like from the angelic realm. Uh, you get that a lot in, I mean, that's, we talked about Genesis 6, that's a lot of people talk about about that way. Could we be dealing with something like that, possibly? I mean, I firmly believe that there are beings and entities that exist in non-corporeal form. You know, whether we're right. talking about a ghost or a spirit guide or some non-human etheric being but when we're talking about the gods for myth they come off as being very physical in nature you know and having to deal with the physicality of the earth um you know if you were a non-corporeal being why would you need a laser weapon you know if you were a non-corporeal being why would you need an aerial chariot to take you back and forth I mean, you wouldn't, (laughs) you could just wish it and you would be there, you know? And so it seems like the beings that we're talking about, 
had to deal with the physical reality. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there are people that talk about, well, they could come in and out of the physical realm. And that's a possibility. You know, I, I don't see evidence one way or another, um, you know, or what I see is evidence one way or another to support or deny that uh, no, that notion. Excuse me. Um, but I do feel like, based on the stories that we have, that there was a physicality to these individuals. I mean, in a number of the stories, I mean, even in the Ramayana, there were a number of the characters that died and they brought them back to life. You know, so we do find that there was a mortality and then they were brought back. You know, I don't want to say resurrected, but I guess that would word would work in that situation. Hmm. What do you think happened to them? Where where did they go? I don't think they went that far. I think when you look at these stories in a bigger and broader sense, it seems like the stories that we find in antiquity are very consistent with sightings and interactions that people have contemporary. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that they've really gone anywhere. But I think at a certain point that uh, humanity start stopped believing them, believing in them as gods. So could because uh, we talked, there's a lot in in, in the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, uh, these some of these these other writings. There's there's talk about it, like these these beings fighting each other. Could it mm-hmm. be possible that they possibly destroyed each other to such a, such a certain extent that they maybe became uh, important for them to leave at a certain point, and then just mm-hmm. mankind just kind of uh, had their memory of them and what they were, and that became our mythology. Well, first of all, it's again only in these Abrahamic traditions that. These other gods don't exist. You know, I I joke around and say that, uh, I mean, because the Bible, the early portions of the Bible up until the flood is very consistent with the mythological record that you find around the world. Very consistent. With one exception. It only has one god. And (laughs) And so the stories of the gods fighting with each other and doing all of this stuff had to be eliminated. You know, so they had a really good delete button or a giant tub of whiteout, and they had to get rid of all of these stories of the gods fighting with each other, because how can you have gods fighting with each other if there's only one god? So there's that portion of it. But outside of the Abrahamic traditions, they still believe in a pantheon of gods that interact with humanity. I mean, you ask any Native American, and they talk about the sky people. You know, in Australia, they talk about the sky heroes, and they don't negate that they still exist or have some kind of relation with humanity. It's only in the West that we've been brainwashed into thinking and believing that they don't exist. Yeah. Hmm. Sad as that may be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we really are brainwashed a lot with relation to this whole topic. I mean, if you look at Indian cosmology and Indian stories, I mean, the Ramayana, you know, so like when Rama built that bridge, 
you know, it was during the trade to Yuga. Well, the trade to Yuga began, and I don't have the exact date, but it was like 1.2 million years ago and extended to 780-something thousand years ago. You know, so, I mean, it was this big period of time where Rama lived at the latter part of the Treta Yuga. And so, you know, they talk about periods of time and individuals living on this planet that far exceed the 6,000 years or 10,000 years that contemporary Western societies want to dictate on this earth. Yeah, and also the Mesopotamian kings list, you know, you mentioned that before. They, mm-hmm. they, there's one king on there that was that lived for thirty six thousand years or something, just, just, just really just <laughs> so long. <laughs> thirty. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that's that's a staggering number when you think about it. But there's even consistency with these really long lifespans in other cultures, you know, and you know, scholars now go. Oh, well, they were talking about moon phases, you know, so they can say, well, you know, that only happened last week. Because, uh, you know, they take that 36,000 years and they're like, no, it's 36,000 moons. You know, there's 12 moons per year. Um, you know, I mean, they just won't take it on face value. Like no. these people were so stupid. They, they were smart enough to build the pyramids, but stu- so stupid that they couldn't write their own history. And then they, you know, they talk about these epic documents, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Ramayana, the Mahabharata, the Popol Vuh, that these people, they, they finally figured out how to write and how to document their history in like cuneiform using the Epic of Gilgamesh. And then what they wrote was like a Daniel Steele novel. I mean, seriously, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, that's how we look at it, that they just wrote this totally fictitious account of some science fiction narrative in stone and made bunches of copies of it. And there wasn't anything important. And the Sumerians in particular, the Sumerian Babylonians were really good record keepers. I mean, the bulk of the tablets that we found that have been found um, document laws or there's laws as well as contracts. You know, so when you buy your house, you know, you fill out all that contractual paperwork and you do the deed and all of that stuff. Well, they had paperwork that parallels what we have today. I mean, obviously not with nearly as much boilerplate as we have, but I think if somebody went to court with their little tablet and said, well, this is what it said, it would hold up. I mean, they're written kind of like how you sell your car to somebody, you know, like I so-and-so sell this 19, you know, right. 69 Pontiac Cheville to this person. You know, I mean, it'll hold up in a court of law. And those documents are very similar in how they're written. And so they were very meticulous, you know, like, well, I gave this person so many baskets of grain in you know in exchange for this you know that i don't think that they would waste their time writing a piece of fiction yeah that's a good point that is a very good point let's let's talk in the time that we have left about uh god with a big g you know 
what is that conception? We talked a little bit about it in the beginning, but what can more elaborate on the kind of like that conception of God? Like, you know, this, that the, the, if we have these beings that claim to be gods, but it, if there is a God, what is the nature of that God, do you think? Well, I mean, to me, and this is, you know, my personal thing, even though I imagine God, you know, kind of looking like a Michelangelo God. Um, sure. You know, my feeling is, is that, you know, it is the energy, the vibration that underlies all of creation, you know, and then I always get the question right after, well, then if, you know, well, then who made these other gods? And, you know, my answer is, I don't know. You know, I only have a three dimensional brain and I don't know everything that exists in the universe because I think that our universe is multidimensional and we we don't know, and I can't answer that question other than to say, you know, we think God is omnipotent. You know, if God was so omnipotent, he could wiggle his nose or blink an eye or, you know, I like to throw out, snap his fingers like Q on Star Trek and, you know, <laughs> magically, you know, have a mariachi band appear and play for us. Um, but we don't find that God isn't like that in any of these stories. He's, you know, he doesn't have the power. Q is way more powerful than God in any of these stories. God in like, God is in uh, the small G gods or God in in the the Bible? All of the above, because I think the God in the Bible is actually one of the small G gods. Oh. Okay. Because I think the God of the Bible is actually what we would consider the sky God, the Zeus, the Enki, or Enlil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I feel like it is that same character. Yeah. This is the God that says, don't, don't have any other gods before me. That's right. Okay. Okay. Well, Rita, we are just about out of time, but uh, any questions that you guys might have? or I have tons of questions, but they're not on the subject of <laughs> well, the movie. Well, you're just going to have to have me back like 50 times. I want to have you on my show and, and talk to you because I w- okay. you have tons of other stuff that I want to talk about. Your, your movie's great. I, don't get me wrong, but I, there's tons of other things I want to talk to you about. But I, I would like to share with your listeners that Holy Deception is available on Amazon.com and and Vimeo.com, and you can download it, rent it for $2.99. $2.99. It's a bargain. It's pretty cheap. It's pretty mm-hmm. cheap. But and, it's good and, and worth every penny. And also, Rita, where can people find your books? Uh, your uh, where, can, uh, where can they hear your radio show as well? And so, you know, I usually direct people to my primary page, which is soulhealer.com, S-O-U-L-H-E-A-L-E-R.com, soulhealer.com. And it's kind of the portal to everything else, you know, so you can get my books, you can get the links for the videos, um, you know, any of my articles are on that website. You can access the radio show, Just Energy Radio. Um, that has its own page, justenergyradio.com, but you can access that through the Soul Healer page. My training programs, everything. That's kind of the the jump off spot to everything, Rita Louise. And I need to mention too that you and I, we are also we're on the same network, our two shows. We're on deprogrammed radio, your show mm-hmm. and uh and, and our and our show here. So 
thanks to uh, John out there in the UK. Give yes, a shout sir. out. <laughs> hey, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Rita. Stay on the line for us. We're going to close out this section, guys, and we will be back to talk about this crazy world we live in on Conspiranormal. All right, guys, we're back. That was a very interesting double guest episode with Chris Walford and Rita Louise. Uh, Jeff, let's yes. go to you, man. First of all, uh, what did you think about that? Is, is this is this kind of information that you're maybe not as familiar with, or I'm not? I, well, certainly not on her level, but um, th- I'm super interested in this, and I want to read more of her. Her stuff, but she's also she's also a spiritual healer, and she does other kind of things like that that I was really interested yeah. in. Um, and there's tons of things on her website that I highly recommend everybody go to and check out. Um, so, uh, great guest, very interesting. Well, she did. We did talk with her um, when we sat down with her at Paradigm Symposium. I, I had known who she was, but I didn't really know exactly what she talked about uh we when we sat down we did talk a little bit about her like how she trained herself to be psychic and we talked about some of her uh, intuitive stuff so you get this really old hat for you guys but yeah <laughs> somewhat i'd like to i'd like to elaborate on it i think i would too i mean that was she's a multifaceted guest though and so i i I think i tripped her up with like changing the subject too fast so well i know it did well because she said it it did what what did you think about the ancient alien stuff though what do you guys what you guys thoughts on that yeah i think you guys Um, know where i come from well rob probably knows where i come from on it but for me for me it's just another interesting theory i mean i have no idea what's yeah you know what's going on but i i definitely like in relationship to to the video to to her her documentary um there's a lot a lot of similarities between all these things and i like the fact that in her documentary she doesn't come right out and say because it's aliens you know it's not like the ancient aliens people that are like well you know blah 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 I jump to the conclusion because it's aliens I'm, you I'm know not saying it's aliens <laughs> but it's aliens right exactly i mean you know she implies a lot of things in there but it, it could easily be an ancient culture that's that we don't know about that's you know yeah. the root of all this stuff or it could be you know like i try to throw out their you know genetic memories or the, these just inherent it's like the personification of of, of human traits that that are in, in you know inherent in all of us and so we're just projecting those kind of things and, and natural fears that we all have and stuff but there there's so many of them that it's there's 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 something to it and i don't know what it is but yeah yeah, I mean, you know, that's where I'm at with it is an ancient civilization. I think it's holdovers from an ancient civilization. Hmm. Uh, was the uh, the song by Donovan Atlantis where he talks about the oh, it's a great the, song. the twelve? You know, <laughs> oh, there were the twelve, and, you, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I, one of the one of the concepts that I find interesting though, in the whole ancient aliens thing, is the concept she talked about was she talked about the the gods, small g, as opposed to God, large g. And then she talked about towards the end there about how 
the God in the Bible is actually one of the small G gods. And, you know, that's a concept that's very similar to um, ancient Gnosticism in that they believed in this being called the Demiurge that they said created the physical world. And this was actually the false god. While, the, while you had all these other kind of manifestations of God that were higher. And that's kind of like an interesting parallel between hmm. the uh, ancient aliens theory and Gnostic hmm. theology. So I've always found that fascinating. Jeff, you got any thoughts on, the, on any of that? Well, let's see. I wanted to ask her more. <laughs> it's like it was I, all of my questions were like way beneath her. I wanted to ask her about the uh, the ancient picture of Moses doing a yoga pose. And uh, have you heard of, have you heard anything about this? No. <laughs> what is this from? <laughs> it's, it's hearsay and conjecture. Um, but, <laughs> uh, there's um, it's not it's. Um, I can't remember the book, but uh, there is, this is why I didn't even want to bring it up because I would sound even more ignorant than I am. But uh, evidently there is an ancient, I guess it's a cave drawing of Moses doing a really hard yoga pose. Uh-huh. And um, so there was, there is... I, I like the she was talking about the great flood and how it's like every culture has this sort of like the great flood story. Right. And so that sort of tied into the Moses doing a yoga pose. Um, so interesting stuff though, but it's so broad and so vast. I didn't want to get into any specifics with her, <laughs> but um, yeah, evidently I'm sure one of your listeners knows about this, but um she uh she reminds me a lot of Graham Hancock and uh oh he which is a high compliment uh and if you haven't checked out any of his stuff well no you I'm very familiar with Graham I Hancock. know you are um you're familiar with everything <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, uh, any listeners out there that that has not read any of his books, they're fascinating books. Have you read um, Fingerprints of the Gods? Not all the way through. I've read. No. I've gotten most of the way through it. It's uh, it's, but it's great though. And Randall uh, Carlson, who we've had on the show, um, who we've uh, we met at Paradise Symposium too. He uh, he's got some association with uh, Graham Hancock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, Graham Hancock has had him. Uh, they've gone out and you know uh, toured together and gone and visited some sites, and uh, a lot of their a lot of their theories really kind of match together. I believe I saw him on Joe Rogan's podcast. Actually, yeah, you talking about Randall Carlson? Yeah, Randall yeah, Carlson. Yeah, and, yeah, well, and Graham Hancock mm-hmm. has been on there too, but. Um, the uh yeah she she reminds me a lot of him and um it's fascinating stuff but very broad yeah this is the kind of stuff that we got to talk about a lot at paradigm symposium yeah this is the i mean that th- this stuff always fascinates me how like we know there's so much of history or prehistory that we just really don't know about so you know i said that i wasn't going to bring it up anymore but I think the events of the last week just kind of made it necessary to talk about politics. What? (laughs) And that's the fact that uh, Donald Trump got elected president on Tuesday. Get out of town. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, anybody that heard the 2016 election special that we just did, you probably could tell that I'm not too surprised because I kind of predicted that he was going to get Wisconsin and he was going to get Michigan. And that was not much of a surprise to me that those people there swung swung those states to becoming red. Pennsylvania was a big surprise. Yeah. That was a huge surprise. That was a huge that, surprise. That, that, went, that, that went towards Donald Trump. Yeah. So, how surprised were you guys about what happened? Um, I wasn't really surprised. I mean, I wasn't looking forward to any outcome, really. I've been kind of having this same sort of anxiety for six months now since we've had these two candidates, but um, I don't like all of the rampant hatred that I've seen spreading through our country, yeah. which uh-huh. I think is definitely a direct cause of, of who we have in office. Yeah. It's sort of like the, uh, the, the, it, it's the leash is off. It's like, Oh, we can, we can just be as racist and horrible as we want to now because, it's Trump's America. And that's definitely happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, um, I mean, uh, Renee from the Leisure Hour, she was talking about her friend, whom was actually Asian. Um, somebody, she was walking in the park, and uh, she, somebody came up and said, Get out of here, you Muslim. She's Asian. Get out of here, you Muslim. <laughs> you, we're, you're not going to be in Trump's America and all that. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> to, to which I would have responded, "I'm I'm Asian, sir." <laughs> but um, uh, that yeah. just reminds me of a story a friend of mine had in high school. Not to not to derail this too much, but I remember my friend was listening to the, some classical music. Of course, this is Chattanooga, so we take it as it is. But he he was listening to I think Carmina Burana or some kind of classical piece and. The guy asked him that he's working with in the in the grocery store. He asked him, "He says, is that some kind of Satanist Buddhist stuff?" Wow, <laughs> Satanist Buddhist. Yeah. This is why geography is important in history you, and social studies. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Did you just hear so part of my soul die? The, so that you, you understand that? the difference between an Asian and a Muslim, even though I'm sure there are Muslims that are Asian, but. <laughs> That, yeah, it, it just blows my mind. It's like the movement of stupid people. <laughs> and I do mean movement. Heavy on the movement. So were you surprised by the results, though, Jeff? I was surprised because uh, a lot of people... a lot. Well, after the fact, there's a guy that he predicts every election. Yeah, that and was he's been, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he, he predicted it, but I didn't know that he predicted that Trump would win. Yeah. I had no idea. He's been saying this for a few months now. But he also predicted that he would quit and Pence would become president. Yeah, what he's, the latest prediction, I think, from him is that Trump will be impeached and, of course, Pence will become president because... <laughs> That's Obviously, not scary at all. Vice president. Yeah, that's more scary to me. Than, <laughs> I mean, Trump's a sociopath, and he's a child, and he's in it. He's in with Russia because Russia is the only place that will put up with his horrible business dealings. They're totally fine with it, and so he'll screw this up. I have well, no as doubt. As I've said before, I'm all for peace and understanding with Russia. But oh, me too. It, 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 yeah. dep- it depends on where that comes from and how it comes out. Um, 
What about these protests? I that have been going on. I mean, the, see, this is the main reason that I wanted to talk about it, other than to just mention it. Oh, by the way, in case you didn't know, yeah. Donald Trump was elected president. I'm really and, on the fence. But, but the reason why I wanted to mention this is the protest, the reaction, the immediate reaction. The next day on Facebook, all the all the I, there was a great wailing of gnashing of gnashing of teeth. Okay, and then. Two days after you had these protests that started, I think first in like the West Coast, and then it spread. Now it spread everywhere: New York, Atlanta, several mm-hmm. different different cities. The, see, I'm uh, we us in France are the only two that do the electoral college, but the founding fathers put that together so that there would be less uh, less you know election corruption and those kinds of things so i there's a lot of arguments for the electoral college and then there's this big one where it's like the majority didn't want the knucklehead that got in so i'm really a couple times in recent memory actually yeah yeah exactly and so i the last time with bush i mean i don't care what anyone says that was really bad (laughs) that was that was not a good thing even in the electoral college that one was i mean it was still fairly close because neither one of them had an actual majority until they got florida right bush got florida this time though i mean you still you, you have this odd case where you have a popular vote i mean how many uh votes did clinton win by 250,000, something like that. Yeah. It wasn't a huge margin of popular votes, but she still was, she still was ahead on the popular vote. Yeah. But, you know, it was like 303 for Trump to 232. So there's still a wide margin of electoral votes. I still don't know. I don't, I don't understand how, I mean, obviously he's not a Christian. He doesn't do anything more. He's the new Cyrus, the new David to save to save America. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's he has no moral compass whatsoever. He's just me, 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 me. But how is it that we've jumped across? It's like the whole racial thing just His doesn't matter. Passages to from two Corinthians. Right. <laughs> I love the Bible. I know so many Bibles. Um, the Bibles. <laughs> the Bibles. Uh, I, I have words for the Bibles. They're good words. Um, they're the best words. They're terrific. Yeah, I, that but, I can tell. That I can tell you. The 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 I can't. <laughs> it's gonna be huge. How huge. is it? How is it? Y u g e. The the racial stuff didn't even that didn't even take any hold to anything. I mean, it, it's it, that just blows my mind. But not only the fact that, I mean, you know, I've ranted and raved about this to poor Robberino a million <laughs> times. The guy is a terrible businessman. He's not a successful businessman. I know this firsthand. I know people that have dealt with him. He's terrible. But I, it, it, it's, it is what it is. So, Well, I want to say something about the protests. You know, I mean, these people, they have a right to protest. They have a right to be mad. They have a right to get out there and be ang- to, to get out there. And Absolutely. Protest. That's part. That's part of that's part of America. That's part of being, you know, that's a constitutional right for people to go out and protest. I have absolutely no problem with that. Me too. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, what do you stuff you see on Facebook, man? It's like, you know, of course, all the time. 
And this is what our media does, Facebook or not, that you see the worst of the worst, right? You see the one, the, what's the girl taking a crap on the, on the, uh, the, the Trump sign and everybody's on there like, Good she, for her. Should, she should be killed. Good for you know, her. Th- this, this kind of stuff. Just like, you know, and that's, that's all, that's all the, that's all you see is the worst of the worst. Right. But like, you know. I, I have very little patience with people talking about how like these they shouldn't be protesting, how they're just being whiny and all this kind of stuff. No, let them protest. Let them get let let it get it out. It 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 shows it shows it it shows just how and it also shows just how damn divided we are in this country. Yeah, it's that's. I mean, <clears throat> this falls into freedom of speech, which is integral to a democracy. If we now allow opinions, then we're doomed. Right, we we're already doomed. Alyssa, you're chomping at the bit, so I need to let oh. you talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, trying to go back and reference something I was looking. Um, but basically, I feel like I'm not Hillary or Trump. Uh, Either yeah, one. I'm not. The same. But I do believe that this country gives us a choice between lesser of two evils, and that is... Bull. Bleep. <laughs> um, you can say bullshit. Just no F-bombs. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's bullshit. You know, and I think everybody's fed up. I think everybody on both sides is fed up. I mm-hmm. think we're fed up for different reasons. But when you start, like, harassing people and, you know, taking what he says literally, just the way that people cherry pick shit out of the Bible, you know, it's the same thing. I get that they're upset. I understand why they're upset. Sometimes I'm even upset for the same reasons that they are, you know. But if you aren't one of the people who is going to be directly affected by what Trump has in mind or what he has proposed, then you have no right to say whether people are allowed to be upset about it or not. If you are not accept, if you are not included in that group, and it will not affect you, you are not allowed to say whether I can be mad about it or not, or anybody for that matter. I think everybody's mad, and I think that things are, to some degree, getting out of hand. But mm-hmm. I understand why people are mad. Two things. And I said, as soon as they took Bernie out of the picture, I said. There's going to be riots in the streets. Mark my words. People are pissed. And I get it. You know, I'm pissed too. I think we all are to some degree, regardless of who you voted for or who you support. People are mad and things are going to have to change. I think that Trump's whole thing so far is a joke. I think that a lot of people are going to be very mad that voted for him when they find out that he can't possibly deliver on the things that he has promised them that he built his whole campaign on we're gonna put people back to work in the coal mines yeah you're gonna do that you're preying on uneducated out of work old men that's what you're doing entire communities that refuse to leave because they thought someone was gonna come along and they were gonna work for them and you were their hope and you sold them a false American dream, and that's disgusting. Yeah, and you know what? Um, there's certain things that are already happening. And here we are. It's Sunday, 
with not even a week, and the transition team has already been assembled. And he's already re- revoked his statement that he's going to get rid of Obamacare. Well, what he has actually said, what he's actually said is, is that he's going to look at some of the, is he's going to look at some of the, some of the provisions that he likes and some of the things that he doesn't. And it sounds like he's going to cherry pick. Personally, I think that, you know, I hope that the individual mandate is gotten rid of to where you are forced to buy health insurance. That should have never been in there in the first right. place. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, But there were good things like, you know, being able to say on the insurance, your parents' insurance till you're 26 and not being uh, penalized for pre-existing conditions. Possibly those things should stay. Uh, I think, to support your argument, I think that everything that he said, the things that he said, that he was trying to get, that he was trying to get elected. I don't think Trump is as right wing as people think he is. Oh, no. But... He's but himself he has, wing, <laughs> but he, yeah, yeah, exactly. But he has he has fanned that flame. Uh, the two names that come to mind. We talked about this earlier. This was on the on the transition team. James James Woolsey, John Bolton. Both of these guys. Both of these guys were members of the Project for New American Century. They are neoconservatives. Anybody that has studied the this conspiracies about 9/11 will recognize the name Project for a New American Century. These guys are the exact opposite of everything that the alt-right fights against and struggles against and they are now in Woolsey is now in charge of is now partly in charge of the transition team. John Bolton is being looked at as a possible Secretary of State. So this is not going to. This is not going to be, you know, the Alex Alex Jones and all these other guys are not going to be in control of Trump. It looks like a faction, and I could get into that, but a faction of the neoconservatives are going to be in control. I will make a prediction, and I hope I'm wrong about this. But as far as the business side is concerned, and he's already been kind of, kind of hinting at this. They are going to start taking away a lot of the restrictions on some of these big businesses. And when that happens, our economy is going to go right back to 2008. And it's he's already kind of hitting around in it, and he's sort of in that circle of people. And I'm telling you right now that he is going to wreck the economy. I hope I'm wrong. But as far as the business side, I, I know all about this because I am crazy rich. And uh, very, very successful. But I am telling you, once they take off the leash for the big businesses, that's it. Our economy is just going to go in the dumper. So, well, I want to leave it with this. Um, another historical analogy. This is the way that I feel about it. We have, as a country, I feel, crossed the Rubicon. Do you guys know what that means, crossing the Rubicon? No. I feel I used to. When... Is that a river? In the time of Julius Caesar, a general was not allowed to take his army into Italy by order of the Senate. In order, in otherwise... You had to leave it behind. 
the border of Italy at the time was this little stream called the Rubicon. It's not much of a river. Uh, Caesar, defying the orders of the Senate, crossed the Rubicon. In other words, it's an analogy for saying the point of no return. From this point on, this is the way things are going to be. With the election of Trump, I feel like we crossed the Rubicon in that we allowed one side of extremism. We elected it. And we emboldened it. And now what we're seeing with these protests is an extremism on the other side of the left. And you're going to see them coming back hard in 2020. I think now we are going to deal with a factionalism in this country that we have never dealt with before. And that is the extreme right and the extreme left battling it out. And I believe that it will, that it will begin the end of the beginning of the end of the American Republic. And that's scary. It is scary. And I'm extremely pessimistic about the future of this nation. I really am. Uh, the other night I'm watching Bill Maher and they're talking about what they can do on the liberal side about how to counter Trump in the next election. And he starts, they start talking about, we need somebody just like Trump. We need somebody that's rude and crude and can appeal to a base. And they want their own Trump now. Mm -hmm. I don't think it'll be Bernie Sanders. It'll be somebody else. It'll be a demagogue. It'll be a demagogue on the left. That's what crossing the Rubicon means. So as pessimistic as I feel about it, I just want to talk about ghosts and aliens for the rest of the year. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) But we are going to talk about the Kennedy assassination next week. That's cool. But that was 50 years ago. Yeah. That was another, uh, that was another turning point in American history. I hope that we can still get Cuban cigars. And, um, so he hasn't talked about revoking that, has he? <laughs> Need him to go with your diet, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Perfect yeah. pairing. Uh, you know, uh, Kenneth JFK was a big cigar smoker as well. Loved Cuban cigars. Really? Yeah. No one cares but me. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Bill Clinton likes cigars too, right? He doesn't light them, which I think is just a complete That wasn't the illusion sacrilege. I was making, but... <laughs> <laughs> I know where you were going with that, but I was more offended that he doesn't like them. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, on that really optimistic note, uh, next week we do have Craig Ciccone and John Tinney coming on to talk about the Kennedy assassination. We are coming up toward the 53rd anniversary of that. So I really wanted to sit down and talk about some of the conspiracy theories about Kennedy. And uh, we're going to have Ryan Sprague on the week after that, talking about his book, Somewhere in the Sky. So I'm looking forward to both of those shows. And hopefully, Jeff, you'll be joining us. I'm going to try to be here. Yes. And uh, uh, hopefully just, you know, we'll be talking about just weirdness the rest of the time. Maybe get into into some conspiracy theories, but try not to dwell on just how screwed we are. Right. So (laughs) let's have a little distraction from the terror. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to do what I can to dumb the show down. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I mean, at least there's been no snoring tonight. Usually with, with Luke, you might hear him start snoring, you know. Really? <laughs> Do you have to, like, mute his mic in order to get the... No, I, I put a gate on it so it just, like, pops through and it's real dramatic. <laughs> I guess. Does the snoring pop through? <laughs> Jeff, I want to thank you for being here, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming, as always. Thank Chris Wolford and Rita Louise. And guys, we will be ne- right back next week with Conspiranormal. Conspiranormal. I'm sure there will be something smart to say if Luke was here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.